invite you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Um, this video that we watched, it, it presents God's aim, and that is a world in which life flourishes. Um, as pastor of this church, my, my heart is that our worship on Sunday morning is, I mean, it's been said kind of in gimmicky fashion that your, the worship hour should be the best hour of your week. Well, in one way, that is true. We are hoping, I'm hoping that your worship hour here together is one of the best hours of your week because we're celebrating a God who wants and aims for life to flourish in this world. And this is what we see, um, what God wanted in the Garden of Eden. Remember what God said to uh, humankind in the Garden of Eden, be fruitful and multiply. I want life to, to flourish. And he put man in the garden. And he told the man, I want you to take care of, I want you to tend uh, this garden. I want you to help it to flourish. God brought animals to Adam so that he could name those, those creatures. Um, and it was one of the ways for, uh, for man to fulfill God's command to, to rule over the creatures of the earth. And by ruling over the animals, God did not mean, now go out and have a meat-eater's barbecue. Uh, that's that's not the ruling over creation and, and the beast of the of the the world that that God had in mind. He wanted man to help life flourish for the animals that God had created and put in the put in the garden. And um, you see, after humanity's fall into sin, God does give the provision to eat meat, but not before. So. I want us to keep in mind this image of the Garden of Eden where life, God's intent was for all life to flourish and for humans to rule over the garden and life in the garden in a way that promotes life and that protects life. Now, keep that in mind. We're going to read uh, this scripture from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 13. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, yes, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. 
And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. All right, so the primary reason uh, we do not live in a world where life abounds and and flourishes is, is, is well documented in the Bible. The, the first human beings disobeyed God by taking uh, what he did not give them to enjoy and saying, this is mine. Taking the, the fruit that was forbidden and saying, God, this is mine too. And that's a real shame because... Everything was going so great before that. There were, I was just thinking about this. There was, there was a whole lot of ways to keep things going in this beautiful direction. And, and, and just one way to ruin it all. And Adam and Eve chose that one way. If we were to use a supporting, a, a supporting, a sporting term to describe what happened, we might say that they snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Everything was going so great, and the one bad thing that could have happened, that happened. So now we have this scene in Mark chapter 1 of John baptizing. And as we work our way through this story, I'm going to use three phrases to help us kind of of go through it. Uh, Human desperation, Jesus' intervention, and life restoration. Those three phrases to help us through it, human desperation. And I want you to consider three things as we look at human desperation. Consider distance, crazy dress, and wilderness. Okay, distance. If you look at a map of of the Middle East and you look at uh, the, the distance between Galilee, Nazareth, where Jesus came from in this story, and the Jordan River. Or if you look at the distance between Jerusalem and the Jordan River, it's not a short trip. It's not a couple-hour walk. I, I kind of envision a couple-hour walk or even shorter than that. You know, people, you know, in the villages and saying, hey, they're, they're you know, just right over there, John's baptizing. And, and we should, we, let's go check that out. No, 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 no. It was, it was miles. It was a day's journey or more. To, to get to John and the Jordan River where he was, was baptizing. So not this, this short little, little hike. And, and did you catch the hyperbole in verse 5? I don't have it on the screen. You can look in your Bible. The hyperbole that Mark gives to us, he writes that all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. All the people, well, a lot of people from Jerusalem. In other words, we're taking this day or multi-day journey to, uh, to, 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 to go see uh, this man, John. So consider the distance that people were, were taking to do this. And who were they going to see? Crazy dress, the second thing. Um, John was not the, you know, the, the slickly dressed uh, uh, motivational speaker. He was the crazy prophet dressed motivational speaker, dressed in like the, you know, the you know, the camel hair thing, not the comfy cloth garment thing. Um, he was he was crazy dressed guy, and 
maybe even a little crazier, eating locusts. That was his diet. Um, and locusts are they're pretty big insects, you know. So John was, you know, one word uh, describes John odd, or you might even say he was a crazy man. And he, he kind of was, right? So think of desperation. We have distance. This, this multi-day journey people were going out to see crazy dress guy. Why, why were they doing that? And then the third thing for us to consider, wilderness. Um, wilderness, the, the best way to understand wilderness here is not a pristine mountain forest. Um, not wilderness lodge at Disney World, but desert. A place where life did not flourish. I mean, there were spots of you know grass or pools where you might be able to uh, bring your sheep, but but mainly it was void of life and barren. Why did John baptize in the wilderness? Well, one maybe the water source. That's where the Jordan River is. You had to go through the wilderness to get there. But let's think beyond that. As people were walking out there, this this day or multi-day journey, they would have been thinking, yeah, this is this is kind of like my life. It's it's barren. Um, why am I walking hours and hours out in the, the desert to hear some crazy guy talk? Because someone told me, you got to go out there and see John. And in that water, you will have an encounter. You will find God. God meets us in the wilderness. Why? Not because God necessarily enjoys being out in the the, the wilderness, but it's because that's where you're desperate. That's where you're dependent. God meets you when you are desperate and dependent. It's not when everything is going great in life and everything is comfortable when people think, you know what? What what, what could really add to this is, is God. No, it's when we're desperate and dependent that we cry out to God, and God meets us there in the wilderness. So that is human desperation. Next scene, Jesus' intervention. So Jesus comes to be baptized, and it's a pretty stunning appearance because John the Baptist says something about Jesus in verse 7. Let's look at verse 7 again. John says, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So untying sandals, that was the the role of a slave. Uh, Caring for someone's feet in ancient culture, that was was the slave's duty. And, and, And what is John the Baptist saying? He's saying... He said, listen, I'm not even worthy of that. I'm not even worthy of a slave job. The distance between me and Jesus, John is saying, the distance between me and Jesus can't even be compared to the relationship between master and slave because I am so far beneath slave designation, John is saying. And and yet here is Jesus And Jesus is coming to be baptized by John. And 
And, and what this story is revealing in, in John's statement about Jesus is revealing something, and it's this, that there's nothing about John, there's nothing about John's baptism that was really compelling Jesus. Jesus wasn't doing John a favor in this. Um, he wasn't saying, let me go support my friend John out in his baptism ministry. That's not what Jesus was doing. And Jesus didn't think, oh, John's got something really great going on, and I better go check it out. I think I might need that. Jesus came completely on his own will. Jesus was intervening. Jesus' intervention. Let's look at the language of what happens in the scene. Uh, Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming out of the waters um, after being baptized, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, torn open, it's a violent term uh, it means to rip, uh, to tear, uh, to split. It, 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 it isn't, you know, uh, it's not the, you get the envelope in the mail, please carefully tear along the perforated line. Now, not that, it's like a rah. It's It's the same word used for the temple curtain being torn from the top to the bottom uh, when Jesus was crucified. And then, and then, and then what happens? So he sees the heavens just violently, if I might suggest, torn open. But then you have uh, the Holy Spirit coming like a dove. Um, and that's great. That's great. Just this little peaceful, peace, nothing more peaceful than a dove descending. Uh, the, then the fantastic voice saying, you are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now that's a baptism. That that we wouldn't want that for our baptisms, right? That oh, the the peace and the the voice and. But, then something strange happens. We wouldn't expect it. Verse twelve. At once, the Spirit sent him Jesus into the wilderness. Ah, and that puts it so nicely. The NIV puts it so nicely. Um, so the word translated sent there, it's the same word that's used when Jesus casts out demons. It's, it's like, be gone. <laughs> uh, means to throw or to hurl or to, to cast away. Um, it demonstrates force. It means being compelled. Uh, so the Spirit drove Jesus out to the wilderness. It's like the Holy Spirit descending like this dove, all of a sudden turns into this powerful eagle. He just grabs Jesus up by his talon and throws him out into the wilderness. Now, it might not exactly have happened like that, but I think Mark gives us that picture through the vocabulary that he uses. Jesus is thrown by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And one thing we see is this. Jesus' baptism was not about a warm, fuzzy moment. Uh, Early on in my pastoral ministry, I had a father come to me. He had a 13-year-old son in the church. really liked this guy, kind of a quiet guy, even a quieter son. And uh, he came to me about his 13-year-old boy getting baptized. And his son didn't want to do it because he was pretty shy. And his dad said, well, this is what I told him. Uh, Jesus was baptized 
to fulfill all righteousness. And if we read the Matthew version of this story, that's what Jesus, that's what Matthew, uh, Matthew reports, that Jesus did this to fulfill our righteousness. So dad's telling his son, well, listen, you need to do this. Why? Because Jesus did it. Well, why did Jesus do it? Well, to fulfill our righteousness. In other words, the dad was saying, it's just the right thing to do. Just getting baptized is the right thing to do. And, 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 and that's why we should be baptized. And that's why you should, son should be baptized. Well, um, as I've thought about that and this more, uh, this tells me Jesus' baptism was more than just the right thing for Jesus to do. Jesus was on a mission with his baptism. It was an intervention. It was a mission. Last week, Jesus committed himself to doing the work of the Father and we said that when he, he committed himself to his Father's work, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Here, Jesus is committing to do the work of the Father. And he's receiving this acclaim from his Father. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, what is the work that Jesus is doing? It is the work that we cannot do for ourselves. He's going out to the wilderness and he's battling Satan. What's going on? Now, so the Gospel of Mark, uh, if you've been a part of the, the Mark Sunday School class, you know Mark is really brief on his, his storytelling. He, he includes just the, just, when, when Mark includes a detail, it's purposeful. It's not, he's just a long-winded guy. It's purposeful information that Mark is providing. So let's look at what Mark says. He gives two verses about Jesus being out in the wilderness with the devil. You look at uh, Matthew's telling of it, Luke's telling of it, it's it's lengthy. Mark gives two verses for Jesus out in the wilderness with Satan. What does Mark mention? Let's look at verse 13. Mark writes, He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. 40 days. Now that's a signal. Uh, big deal when you see 40 days in the Bible, Noah and the flood, 40 days, 40 nights, God enacting his judgment against the world, 40 days, 40 nights, flooding the world. Uh, Israelites wandering in the wilderness 40 years for not trusting God. Moses living off in the, the wilderness, the country of Midian, before going back to lead God's people out of slavery 40 years in, in the wilderness. And, and so when, when Mark is reporting 40 days, Jesus is out in the wilderness, he's revealing some connection with all of these stories. When Jesus is being tempted, there is an undoing of Israel's sins in the wilderness for 40 years. There, 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 there's there's a, a reversal. Sermon Tadu in the bulletin, it's not the great, Revival, it's the great reversal. There's a reversal that's taking place in this story, okay? Um, now, look, let's look at the end of verse 13. So that's the 40 days part. Let's look at the end of verse 13. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. He was with the wild animals. Uh, not, don't think uh, the, the, the chipmunks and the squirrels and the, you know, the, the happy forest critters. The... The, the, it's a singular term. It means beasts. <laughs> um, it's it's the, the carnivorous animals. <laughs> um, let me ask you, and that's an odd detail, right? Well, let me so let me ask you a question. When was another time 
of a man surrounded by large carnivorous animals, yet completely being unharmed and being tempted by and being uh, Daniel and being tempted by the devil. Yes, Daniel. When was another time? It was Adam in the garden with all the beasts being unharmed and being tempted by Satan. In the Garden of Eden, the man and the woman were tempted by Satan. What was the temptation really? Making too much of themselves by pushing God out. And the result was God sent an angel to banish them from the garden. Well, Jesus, in this story, he's in harmony with the wild beasts in the desert. He is tempted by Satan to push God out and to make too much of himself. God sends an angel this time to strengthen Jesus. What is going on here? Jesus' baptism and temptation is a great reversal. He is undoing the failure of the Israelites to trust God in the wilderness. He is undoing the sin of Adam and Eve in Eden. Jesus, instead of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, Jesus snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. So what does this mean for us? Our third phrase, life restoration. Jesus' baptism means a great reversal and life restoration. So when Jesus was baptized, yes, it was to fulfill righteousness. It was to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew had it right. Uh, but I, but it, it's not to fulfill righteousness in Jesus' life. He came to fulfill righteousness in the world. He came to, refi- to fulfill righteousness in our lives. In other words, Jesus came to bring what is right in the world and in your life, to undo the curse of Eden. And how does he do that? One, he gives you peace by fulfilling that righteousness in you. What does uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 say? That It says this, that God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might have that righteousness, so that the right thing may happen in our life. So Jesus became sin for us. When Jesus, what was John's baptism? It was a baptism of repentance. What did Jesus have to repent of? Nothing. He repented on our behalf. Even our repentance today, it's an imperfect repentance. The, the, we can try the hardest and, and, and maybe do a half-decent job at it, but it's still going to be an imperfect repentance. Jesus goes out into the wilderness to give that perfect repentance on our behalf so that as we put our faith in Jesus, we participate in his repenting for us, and we receive his righteousness. When you put your trust in Jesus, that happens to you. That right relationship with God is given to you. And then what God says of Jesus in his baptism You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. You can know that God says that of you as well. That gives you peace. That gives you enormous peace. I believe that Satan's main attack on us 
If you're a believer, I think Satan's main attack on you is to get you to doubt that. God's words, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus gives us peace, too. Jesus gives us power. If you've been baptized, what does your baptism mean? And John the Baptist says in verse 8, I baptize you with water. That's my baptism. But there's another baptism, and he's going to do it. Jesus is going to do it, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Your baptism means that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. And I want you to think about the significance of that. Jesus does not give you his Holy Spirit um, to be a source of, primarily, to be a source of, uh, what did I write? Um, so that you can have a spiritual high. Or so that you could have a spiritually fuzzy feeling. And sometimes we want that. And sometimes I want that. I'm like, oh God, give me a, give me a warm fuzzy feeling, Lord, because I need it. That's, that's, not, that's not the primary reason Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. That can happen. Um, the Holy Spirit gives you power. That's why Jesus gave you a spirit, to give you power. His power. A few verses um, on, on, on this very thing, uh, from one from Romans and one from 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 uh, says this, for the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God, being in God's kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking. You could read the context to get what Paul is meaning there. But then he says this, but it is rather of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This says God wants righteousness for you, like for you to live righteously, for you to live in a right way. And this happens not through your own efforts, but through the Holy Spirit in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Paul writes, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, giving us power. The Holy Spirit is in you to bring about this power to live righteously. Now let me give you one way to think about this, righteous living, a way from, that, that John the Baptist himself gives to us. As, as the Gospel of John tells this story, John the Baptist makes this statement about Jesus. Uh, John 3 verse 30 says, and this is John the Baptist speaking, He, Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, So write this down. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to decrease so that Christ will increase in your life. Now, let's talk about a little bit of what that looks like. It does not mean to do less in life. Uh, You decreasing doesn't mean to enjoy life less. Um. It it doesn't mean to be less inspiring with your life. It means to make your life less and less about yourself and more and more about Jesus. I I, I read a a phrase that I I thought was pretty helpful in thinking through this. It's from Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was um, lived in the 1700s, 
no, 17th century, 1600s. And uh, he's a monastic guy. And he's, he's most, probably most known for by his deeply personal spiritual walk with God. And um, so you might have heard the book, Practicing the Presence of God. That devotes, kind of like a devotional classic. It's about Brother Lawrence and how he tried to discipline himself to, uh, to, to th- be thinking about God all the time and practicing God's presence anyway. This is what Brother Lawrence says, how we can decrease so that Christ can increase. And this is what he wrote. Do for God what you commonly do for yourself. Now, I want to encourage you to think about that. I haven't finished thinking about what that means. I'm still pondering that, brainstorming that. Here's some ideas. Um, Thinking of you doing your work for God. We talked a little bit about that last week, doing your work, whatever your, your, your employment is or your, what you do throughout the week, doing that for God. Um, how about using your talents for God? So uh, you decreasing doesn't mean to be any less talented or to use your talents or, ex- or explore your talents any less. This means how can I do that for, for God, um, for God's glory? Um, singing for God, singing for God, right? Uh, do you like to make your house look good? How can you, how, which is a great thing, how can you do that even maybe less for yourself and more for God or others to enjoy? Um, making whatever, the, the public place, you know, the park or the, 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 the public building look better, God's house look better. How about using that talent, doing it less for yourself and more for God? Um, do you like to go out to eat? Consider taking others who don't get to go out to eat as much. Doing for God what you mainly do for yourself. I'm just repeating that over and over so you can think about that. How can I do that? Do you like to cook? Can you cook for others? Those are simple-minded ideas, and maybe they're helpful ideas. I want you to think about that. How can you do for God what you commonly do for yourself? It's a way of, um, of you decreasing so that Christ can increase, but you're not neglecting the passions that God has given you. You see, that's the key. You're not depriving yourself. You're doing what God has put in you, except now you're doing it for God or you're doing it for someone else. And what did Jesus say? Whenever you do something for the least of these, you're doing it for me. So um, let's mention one more thing that Jesus does. He, He gives peace. He gives power. But that power comes with a new perspective. Being a Christian means realizing that my baptism indicates that I have a new life and a new purpose. That I have power from outside of myself to live in a way that enhances life for others. If Jesus uh, fulfilled all righteousness by 
bearing life in the world by going out and just defeating Satan out in the wilderness. If he did that so that he could undo the curse of the Garden of Eden and and bring life, enhance life. And if our baptism is participating in Jesus' baptism, which it is, it's not participating in John's baptism, but Jesus' baptism, then the life that Jesus invites you to have is one where you bear life into the world. And that certainly is the message of Sanctity of Life Sunday. You know, look for the vulnerable who have less or no power to protect their livelihood. And what do you do? You serve them. So I want you to do something. If you're a baptized believer, will you do something? Will you commit to praying to God that God will use you to enhance the life of others. Because that's what your baptism, that's what you're baptized into, this new life. Being a life bearer because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So God, help me to enhance life for others. That's a new purpose that you get with your baptism. So see in your baptism that high calling. Now, if you're not about, if you haven't been baptized, or if you're not a believer, here's my invitation. You have a God who so loves your life that he came into the world as the person of Jesus Christ, and he wants to give you that new life. Uh, where you are a life giver and not a life taker, where you live in his love and in his power. So will you consider that, that you can have that life right now if you will just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray, and then we will have an opportunity to respond. Jesus, that song that we sang earlier about you, that you are life. You, you redeem us, you protect us, you, you give us life, you give us hope. And the way you do it is you, you are victorious, over the evil powers that seek to undo all of your goodness. And you say, no. And you did what we could not do. And we want to give you all praise and glory for that, Lord. Will you help us to celebrate life? To to have hope in the sorrows of life knowing that you have the final say and that you will bring all things to your good and glorious end. Give us hope. Give us purpose. Help us to repent when we need to repent and turn our lives over to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.